Amen. You may be seated and good morning. If I've not met you before, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. We're delighted to have you. A lot of good things going on. One of the neat things is opportunities to serve. And uh, we've got a lot of new folks that are coming now. In fact, ran into one at a restaurant yesterday. And, hey, how do I get plugged in? A great place to kind of jump in is this uh, event called the Gift of Christmas. It's coming this Friday. It's our way of reaching out to people in our community, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, all you need to do is... Be willing to come and love on some people. And if you go to events.dscchurch.com, uh, we've got some places there that uh, we still need filled and would love to have you a part of it. It's kind of two-hour blocks, and if you really want, you can come and do all four. So there you go. That's, that's great. So if you've got your Bibles, we are in the book of Revelation. And if you're on your phone and you're connected to our Wi-Fi, you're getting a little circle going around and around and around because our internet is out. Yes, bless the Lord for Cox, uh, which, uh, which also means uh, our live stream is not happening. In fact, in between services, I had an SOS phone call from somebody. It's not working. Yeah, it's not. The internet's down. Our children's check-in is not working. Our screens are not working. There's a boatload of things. I'm still working, though. So here we are, all right? And uh, we are in Revelation chapter 10. I also, with, with new folk coming, one of the questions I'm getting asked a lot right now, uh, got asked yesterday in one of my phone calls, so just try to explain this. This used to be so simple, right? Back in the day when, when, when I was a kid, we, you just took your Bible. Everybody had the same version of the Bible. And then we got two more. Then there were three, right? So you kind of knew what they were. And now there's like 256 versions of the Bible. And many of them are good. Some of them not so much, but a lot of them are, are fine. And so the question is, Steve, what do you preach out of? And I preach out of the New American Standard Bible. So the NASB as in boy, right? And they even made it complicated uh, because they updated it periodically. And so they just did an update in 2020. And I don't really like it. I don't, I don't think it's quite as good as their 1995. So to be completely precise, I preach out of the New American Standard Bible 1995. There you go. How's that for complicated? If you have version, you can actually find that one. It is there. But uh, just thought I would give you all that. This is a, a really interesting passage of Scripture. It's, uh, it's unique as you're going to see, but there are some really great truths here, and I've, I've enjoyed preaching it. I'm looking forward to, to doing it again with, with you all. So let's read it together, the 11 verses of Revelation chapter 10. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder 
uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder has spoken, and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So the book of Revelation, God is revealing the return of Jesus. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ consummated in his return to set up his kingdom, which is at the heart of, of chapter 19. And so that's what the book of Revelation is. And now what's being revealed are the things that will happen in order to prepare the earth and to prepare the world for the coming king. This passage, though, in that, so many of the passages are linear. So you think about how in chapter 6 you had the, the seven-seal book and the opening of the seals. And then when you got to the, the sixth seal, there was, a, there was actually a break. And there was a little parenthesis, chapter 7, which was about some other things that God was doing in the midst of these judgments coming upon the earth, that God was also setting aside 144,000 Jewish evangelists. You remember that? Then he picks it back up in chapter 8 and 9 that we've been looking at, and he, it becomes linear again. So now we have the seventh seal, which actually opens up into another series of seven trumpets. In fact, let me put it up here for you. Um, so chapter 6 is all about the, the seven seal book. And so we have the, those six seals. And then that's all chapter 6. Chapter 7 is a parenthesis. Here's some other stuff that is going on at this very same time. It's a God is setting aside 144,000 Jewish evangelists to go preach the gospel. That's why you even remember in Matthew 24, Jesus says, you know, during this time that the gospel will go around the world to every nation, ten kindred and child. That's what happens. Then he comes back in chapter 8, and we have silence in heaven for a half hour as he opens up that seventh seal. Well, the seventh seal is not one more judgment, but it's a series of of seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments. And so that's what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. And that's chapter 8 and chapter 9. As it finishes with the six, and remember the last 
fifth, sixth, and seventh are called the three woes. Remember that? Like you ain't seen nothing yet. And so in chapter 5, we had the demonic locusts that are affecting mankind. Then we had the, the demonically inspired war. A third of mankind is killed. And now we get to, there's another break. There's another parentheses. There's another piece here of, hey, let me just remind you of some of the stuff that's going on. And it starts here in chapter 10, verse 1, and runs all the way through chapter 11, verse 13. So it's a parentheses here of, of what's taking place. And now, just from a timeline perspective, where are we in the seven years of tribulation? Well, if we take the picture that Jesus gave us of a woman in labor, the contractions start, the closer you get to the birth, the more severe the contractions get and the closer together they get. And so we are, what, 13 judgments into this. So most likely, you know, from a, from a again, linear standpoint, we're towards the end of the tribulation period preparing for the coming of, of the Messiah. And now we have this parentheses, and he kind of walks us back. Now, what's interesting about this, in particular in chapter 10, is that it, it's viewed from earth and not heaven. And the reason that's interesting is most of the book of Revelation has been viewed from a heavenly perspective. So you think back in chapter 4, right? The, right, the things which are to come hereafter. So chapter 4 is all those things. And how does chapter 4 start? It says, come up here. Come up here. And then you get that beautiful description of God in his glory sitting on his throne. In chapter 5, and, and the introduction of the lamb who is worthy, all in heaven. In chapter 6, the breaking of the seals. You see the martyrs uh, crying out to God. Everything is happening in heaven and focused on being thrown down to the earth. Well, when you get here, what do we see in verse 1? I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. So the vision here is focused on not from a heavenly perspective, but it's focused on an earthly perspective. And so he, he comes and he places one foot on the sea, one foot on the land. By the way, this is probably a good-sized angel, right? Uh, he could he kind of pick that up in, in the vision piece. And so as you start to look, one of the things he says here in verse 1, another strong angel. But we see him coming down out of heaven. He's clothed with a cloud. There's a rainbow. His face is like the sun. His feet. So you go back to chapter 1, and some people here see Jesus, right? Because some of those things were kind of descriptions of Jesus in, in chapter 1. And so they see this maybe as a theophany, a, a, a picture of Jesus coming uh, to set up his kingdom. But the reality is, is no, he tells us specifically, this is another strong angel. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is never referred to as an angel. 
So this is, this is not Jesus. This, what does he mean by another strong angel? Well, you go back to chapter 5. Remember that introduction to the, uh, the seven-seal book. It starts there with, and there was a strong angel who uh, was there. And remember, he was the one talking to John. Don't weep. Somebody's been found. And so I think this is to, to just show us it's, a, it's another strong angel who's coming out, down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head. So the imagery here is quite interesting. The imagery of a cloud, we've talked about this. Uh, a, a cloud denotes a storm. So when was it? Thursday, Friday, we had rain, right? You'd think I would remember. It happened so seldom. But I, you know, and I, to be honest with you, I, I don't hardly ever look at the weather here, right? It's going to be warm and dry, and you got like 95% of your, your time. So I walked out of my house that night, and I'm seeing all these dark clouds. And I went in and told Tammy, hey, I, I wonder, is it going to rain? I had, had no idea, right? That's the idea of clouds. The, the storm is here. The storm is coming. And, of course, that's one of the pictures that we've seen here in the book of Revelation is that the, the storm clouds are there. So you have all of this judgment that's going on. Oh, by the way, you've got one woe left, which not to, you know, get too far ahead, but the spoiler alert is it's not just one more judgment that's really bad. It's one more series of seven judgments, which are even worse than what we've already seen. So storm clouds are there, and yet in the midst of it, he's also clothed with the rainbow. What's the rainbow? The rainbow is a reminder of God's grace, isn't it? Mercy. We're given the rainbow back when God had destroyed mankind, but oh, by the way, saved Noah and his family out and are going to start again. And God puts the, the rainbow in the clouds that I will never again destroy the earth by flood. So in the midst of all of the storm clouds and all of the judgments, the reminder that God is also this God of grace, this God of mercy. We've seen it with the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, but we're also going to see it next week when we get chapter 11, that God is actually going to place two witnesses, what they're called, but two like Old Testament prophets literally in the streets of Jerusalem doing miracles, preaching the gospel, and so, again, the message of the truth and repentance to come to faith in Christ is going to be preached in the midst of all of this. So he's on the cloud, but he's also wrapped in the rainbow. His face is like the sun. His feet like pillars of fire. Uh, the idea of God's holiness, God's wrath all being played there. And then it says this. He holds in his hand a little book which was opened. Again, the idea of a little book, unlike the seven-sealed book back in chapter 6, this is a little book, and it's, it's already open where that book was sealed. And he placed his right foot on the sea, his left on the land. This is probably, if you remember how chapter 9 ended, so a third of the world's population is killed. He, he struck a, a, a third of the, of the seas, a third of the trees of the ground. Remember all those, a third and a third. Well, probably the idea is this is, this is 
pointing back to verses 20 and 21, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands so as to not worship the demons and all that. So in the midst, they've had this opportunity, and so now judgment's coming, but it's upon all of the, all of the sea, all of the land. That's what's coming in this seventh trumpet judgment. And, and so he, um, he looks at the scroll. The scroll has the idea, of course, of God's word. That's what the, the seven seal book was. It was what God was ordaining had to come here on the earth. There's a passage in Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 2, starting about verse 8. It actually runs into chapter 3 where Ezekiel at his commissioning is given the word of God in the same way, and he's to take it and to eat it. And it's in, in the idea of a scroll. This is God's word. This is God's part of what he is doing. And so this is the word of God. It's more revelation about what's coming. But what we pick it up in verse 6 and 7, what this is all about is this vision of all that's happening is about the consummation of God's plan. So he swore by him who lives forever and ever, the one who created heaven and earth, and all the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel who is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. And so in the midst of all this, what what chapter 10 is reminding us of is that in the midst of all of the judgments, in the midst of all of the death, in the midst of all of the chaos, this is really about the consummation of God's eternal plan. And that's the focus of what's going on here. And so he takes the book and then you get to verse three and four, which is, I find fascinating. He cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. There's a picture. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. So as this angel stands on the sea and on the land with this scroll, it looks like in his left hand, because in a minute he's going to lift his right hand and swear to God. As that happens, all of a sudden, there's, there's a voice that comes like the, that of a lion and then seven peals of thunder. Now, we don't know if this is God talking. Uh, you remember when Je uh, Jesus was in... The, the temple area. He says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. So maybe this is the voice of God. Maybe this is the voice of some other mighty angels. But they begin to reveal more about what's going to happen. So in the midst of this revelation, he's talking about, okay, let's take a moment here, parentheses, let's talk about what's going on here. This is all about the, the, the kingdom. This is all about the Messiah coming. And now these seven peals of thunder begin to reveal more. And, 
John's sitting there listening and going, oh, this is good stuff. And he goes to write it down. And God says, no, don't write it. That's just between us. And we kind of scratch our head. Why? Well, he's done it before. Daniel chapter 12, Daniel's finishing up his book. He says, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words. Don't write them down. Seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and when knowledge will increase. And in verse 9, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed. You see, God has greater wisdom and understanding that at times than, than what he tells us. And, and that's okay. God does not disclose all his ways, all his plans to mankind. Now, why? I don't know. Wouldn't you like to know what these peals of thunder said? Right? You know, just to see if it had anything to do with what we're seeing happen in the world today would have been great to know. And yet God says, no, it's truth, it's wisdom, but don't write it down because in the grand scheme of things, it's not, it's not something that we needed to know because everything we've needed to know, God has revealed to us in his word. And as I was thinking upon this, I thought, what a great reminder. I, it, it's one of, it's one of my, my pet peeves, I guess. That's a great way to put it. And I don't know if it's everywhere. I just know it's in American Christianity. But somehow we have this idea in American Christianity that God owes us an explanation. When bad stuff happens, when things don't go our way, when we get sick, it's like God owes us an explanation. And if we get an explanation or we can figure it out in our head as to the why, oh, then we're okay. But if we don't, if we can't see it, we can't figure it out, we can't see what God is doing, then what often we do is we get mad at God. Why did you do this? Well, by the way, I think that's bad theology. I don't think a lot of what happens to us is God doing stuff to us. We live in a fallen world. But the reality is, is that God's promise is he can make it all work towards our good. And sometimes he lets us know what that is and sometimes he doesn't. And it's okay either way because folks, here in this life, we walk by faith. Not by sight. Yeah, I see Christians all the time, they get so upset because they can't, you know, what is God trying to do and I can't figure it out and it doesn't seem fair and all this. God's, God's not obligated to disclose what's going on. I mean, we talked last week about Job. You know, as best I understand in the book of Job, Job went through everything he did, and it was never revealed to him that, hey, this was playing out in the spiritual realm and bringing great glory to God. And oh, by the way, Job, this is going to, for you, be something for which there is eternal reward Best we understand, Job, Job never understood that. We walk by faith. Now, folks, that's hard. Man, it's hard. 
most of you know my story. Uh, 28 years old. My wife's eight months pregnant. My son is born. Complications set in about, I don't know, 12 hours after giving birth. Um, she has a massive stroke. She's 23 years old. I'm 28. Uh, they life flight her to a hospital in Cleveland. And trying to do whatever they can do. And for the next two and a half days, we waited until God graciously took her home. And as I've told you before, I, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I hope someday too, right? That'll be good on that day. Make things a lot clearer here if I did. But, but I know some of you can understand when I say, but I do know when the Holy Spirit gives you that word. I can remember walking the, the halls of that hospital processing and standing beside Pam's bedside and, you know, and it was, it was ugly. Some of you have been there. You, you know when someone's had trauma and they've pumped them full of fluids and, eh, I mean, you could have gone in there looking for her and you would have never found her because she was just so distorted But I can remember in those moments, the Holy Spirit just whispering in my heart, of just saying, Steve, I never told you you had to understand. All I've told you is you've got to trust. And folks, I've got to be honest, I'm 35 years down the end, of, you know, God has been so faithful to me. But if you were to ask me why, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't God stop all? I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'll ever know until I get home. And then when I get home, I'm not sure I'm going to care. But somehow we have this idea that, man, it's got to make sense in my head. And God is not obligated to disclose everything to us. What he asks us to do is to walk by faith. He's got his eye on the sparrow. And if one falls from the sky, he knows. And oh, by the way, you're worth a whole lot more sparrows. There's a lot there, there, folk. First of all, God doesn't strike them down out of the sky. They just fell. God knows. God cares. God knows where you're at. He's not necessarily doing stuff to you, but he knows where you're at. He knows where you're living in a fallen world. And, and he cares about you and he loves you. And, and, and he'll be faithful to you through whatever it is. But you don't have to always understand. And sometimes God in his grace, man, he, he will. He'll throw you some of that wisdom and you just have one of those moments going, ah, I would have never thought of that. And there's other times, nah, we walk by faith, not by sight. The day's coming when we will walk by sight. All right, I got to hurry. I got to pick up the pace here. Here we go. So, the heart of the passage here is God's plan. And, and this is the focus. It's, it's verses 6 and 7. And he swore by one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that, they may, that these will be delayed no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, which he is about to sound, and the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants the prophets... 
What's going on here is simply this. God, God's plan is to reign the Messiah. See, this isn't about judgments. This isn't about destroying the earth. This is about the reign of the Messiah. This, this is what this is about. This is the focus of the entire book of Revelation. That this is what's of ultimate importance. That Jesus is going to come and he is going to rule and he is going to reign. And this is simply everything we've been talking about is preparing the earth and the world and people for that day. This is the focus. And again, you, you kind of get this picture. Here's this huge angel, one foot on the sea, one on the dry land. He's got this book in his left hand. His, his right hand is lifted to God, and he swears there will be delay no longer. Now, what you got to realize is this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Because God made a perfect world, not a fallen world. And when man rebelled, that all got messed up. And now there's this promise that he's going to send the Messiah. There's a promise coming where Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. There's a promise coming where the lion will lay down in the lamb. There's a promise coming where there will be peace. There's a promise. I mean, can you imagine what a great day that will be? And yet we've gone millennia after millennia. And it hasn't happened. Six trumpet judgments. There's one left. This is it. It will be delayed no longer. The consummation about God's plan from the very beginning of time is about to happen. It's not going to fail. And he talks about how it's spoken of by the, he calls it a mystery. And often in the New Testament, a mystery is something we don't see in the Old Testament, like the church. Paul calls it a mystery, Jew and Gentile together. The rapture is called a mystery. We don't see it in the Old Testament. But here he says this mystery was talked about by the prophets, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel, Zechariah, you can go on. They all look forward to this day. And so with the finish and the execution of this seventh trumpet judgment, the messianic kingdom will start. Jesus will come and rule and reign. What a great day that's going to be. What a great reminder in the midst of all of the stuff that we've been studying and the, almost that sense of being overwhelmed of all the pain and anguish and judgment that, no, 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 this isn't so much about this. This is about God's plan. Jesus is going to reign. The kingdom is going to be established. And then he gives this object lesson. Verse 8, then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So, God, in many ways, is, is the ultimate storyteller. 
I mean, you look at the Bible, you look at how it's written. God loves stories. He loves the stories of redemption. He loves the pictures, right? So Jesus, the seven great I am's. I'm the, I'm the good shepherd. What a beautiful picture, right? I'm, I'm the door to the sheep gate. I, I, wonderful picture. I, I'm, the, I'm the bread of life. Great picture. Uh, if you were with us two weekends ago, we, at baptism, we used the picture that God says, I'm the fountain of living water from Jeremiah. And Jesus ties into it in John 4. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. Beautiful pictures. Well, here's a picture. But this one's almost like this object lesson picture. So he, he, he tells him to take this book. Now, this book, again, is, is the word of God. That's the heart of it. It's God's revealed word. It's what he, he is going to be doing and executing. And I want you to take it, and I want you to eat it. And in your mouth, it's going to be sweet. And, of course, that's exactly what... The word of God tells us about itself, that it's sweet to the taste. It, you read it and you get, man, you get excited about the Messiah coming, don't you? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we were sitting here today in 2024, it was like Jesus is ruling and reigning. So think about it. There would be no election. Hallelujah, right? There would be no inflation. There would be no border. There would be no wars in Israel and in Ukraine and Armenia. It's just think about how wonderful that would be, right? Sweet to the taste. It's sweet to the taste. That's what Scripture says. Jeremiah he says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name. That's what the word of God does. It's sweet to the taste. He puts it like this in Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweet to the taste. But then he says, when it hits your stomach, it's going to be bitter. Uncomfortable. Maybe the idea of overwhelmed. Maybe heartburn. Sad. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, Hebrews talks about the word of God being a sharp two-edged sword. It goes both ways because you think about it. We, we think of the Messiah, right? Ruling and reigning. The lion laying down with the lamb. The beating the, 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 the swords and the plowshares. Their spears and the pruning hooks, right? Peace. sweet. We taste it. The stomach is the idea of we, we meditate on it. We digest it. We process it. Oh, by the way, to get to that moment, look at what we're having to go through. Half of the world's population is dead. Famine, disease, pestilence. I mean, even think about salvation. Forgiveness, no matter what you've ever done. And we sang about it this morning. Come all ye who are unfaithful, right? I like that, right? I, I fit that one better than come ye faithful, right? Because we all, you know, man, there's grace, there's mercy. But you think about that. Jesus came and died for me. Which means that apart from him, 
I'm not good enough. Apart from him, I deserve destruction. Apart from him, I have no hope. There's nothing good enough in me to make it. And so in the, in the meditating on the wonderful sweetness is the reality that, that humbly I must see my sin and my inability. It's a two-sided coin. We begin to get overwhelmed with our own sinfulness, his mercy. Folks, what I would suggest to you today is that's exactly what the word of God does. It has multiple effects in our life. That's why the Bible says it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul put it like this to Timothy. He says, all scripture is inspired for God. It's profitable for teaching. Yes. For reproof. Oh. For correction. I don't like correction. And here's the problem. Another incredible reminder for us. But in American Christianity today, We have a real desire to taste the sweetness of God's word, but never deal with the bitterness that it brings in our heart. We love to talk about mercy. We love to talk about grace. We love to talk about love. But we don't like to talk about that apart from Jesus, there's no hope. We don't like to talk about the fact that because I'm capable of saving myself and only a holy God could do this, that he calls me to holiness, to live according to the way he wants. So that means that I have to lay aside my own desires and I have to live for him. He's got to become my purpose. He's got to become number one, right? That we're called to follow him no matter what it cost. It means that we walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes that's hard, and all we want to hear is the good stuff. Man, God loves you. He's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. And all that stuff is true. But his blessing and his taking care of us may look way different than what we think about. Because what he is doing is he is making us into the image of Christ. And that comes with discipline. And that comes with, with sometimes some really hard stuff in our life where we have to lean into the Lord. And we have no idea why God's allowed this. But we walk by faith and not by sight. Paul looked ahead and says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. What I want to remind us today is the word of God is sweet. It refreshes the soul. But it also weighs heavy. It calls us to holiness. It calls us to righteousness. It calls us to, to seeing our own inadequacies and leaning into Jesus. It calls us to new disciplines. It calls us to live for a day that we can't see right now. What a beautiful picture. It'll be sweet in your mouth. 
be bitter in your stomach? Are we people who are willing to allow God's word to do everything that he desires of it in our life to make us more like Jesus?